I'm going to ask my friend Ken Fielder to come today. He has been here on several occasions. We actually, on our Christmas offerings, uh, we've been able to be a blessing to this family. And so he's going to come this morning, and I pray that you'll open your hearts and allow the Lord to speak to you here this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. I am delighted to be here with you to kick off this Missions Emphasis Month. And I believe I have some truths and some lessons to share with you this morning that I think will provide a good foundation for the month and will help us to get our minds wrapped around what it means to really be a church and to really be participating in the Great Commission. But it's a great honor to be here. I appreciate your pastor's invitation. I appreciate his friendship. We were here, last time we were here was May of 2019. And I'm not sure how it happened, but somehow I talked him into going to India with me so one year ago last week, February of 2019, or 2020, uh, we, we were in Indy together and there were uh, five or six, I think, maybe six pastors with us, preachers and pastors on that trip. And we host an annual pastors conference there in India. And uh, we appreciated Pastor Rand's messages. I know he was a blessing and help. He spoke, I think, twice uh, to the entire assembly of pastors. About 220 pastors were there and about 400 college students. And so it was a big conference, and uh, he spoke twice for the, for the general sessions and then taught some split sessions. And uh, we all appreciated what he had there for us that week. And then we appreciate his sense of humor. How many, how many of you like his sense of humor? <clears throat> Maybe not so much from the pulpits, but, but when you get with him by, by himself, he's a lot of fun to be with. And uh, one of the funniest things that happened on that trip, I have to tell you this one, we were on our way home and we left uh, South India and flew to Mumbai, the capital of, of India. <clears throat> and we got there an hour and a half late because our flight was delayed out of the other, the uh, first leg of the flight. And we got there an hour and a half late and we missed our connecting flight. So we're at the, uh, we're at the desk trying to get rebooked. And fortunately, we were able to get rebooked for the same flight 24 hours later. But now we have to go get a hotel. We have to take all of our luggage to a, to a hotel, unpack, spend another night there, come back the next day, get on the plane. And he texted his wife and said, we're delayed. I won't be home in time. It'll be 24 hours later when I arrive. And her response to his text was one letter, K. Not sorry you missed your flight, not I miss you, I hope you get home soon. Just K, fine. <laughs> We're doing all right without you, I guess is what it meant. I'm not sure. But uh, we laughed hard. We laughed pretty hard about that one. I am the director of Worldview Ministries. And uh, as I mentioned, we have the pastor's conference in India. But our purpose for being there is training Bible translators. We have an institute there, a two-year master's degree program, training Bible translators. And then we have nine projects, eight projects, eight translation projects around the world in six different countries. And God's given us a wonderful ministry. I resigned the pastorate in 2006 after being uh, 16 years in the pastorate in Mansfield, Ohio. And uh, resigned that and went into the work of missions and specifically Bible translation. And God's been wonderful to our ministry. I would encourage you to pick up one of our booklets on the welcome desk out there in the lobby on your way out this morning. Please turn to Acts chapter 2 in your Bible. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. And I want to give you, as I said a moment ago, some foundational lessons that will help us as we prepare to emphasize missions this month and um, talk about what the church is, what the function of the church is, 
And hold your place in Acts chapter 2, and we will get there in just a few minutes. And I'd like to stop here and begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in this place today. What an honor to be with your people. What a joy it is to worship in spirit and in truth. And now, Lord, as we look into your precious word, I pray that we will not look at these verses that maybe are of some familiarity to us and just say, we've heard that before, we know where the preacher's going, but may we please look at your word with a fresh perspective today. Open our eyes to truth. Open our hearts to receive it and live by it. And I pray for your spirit's fullness today, both for preacher and listener. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I want to give you two powerful statements as I begin the message, and you'll see them on the screen in a moment. First statement is, God is on a mission. God is on a mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. God has been doing this. God has been on this mission since the beginning of time. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The creation is the revelation <clears throat> of God's glory, isn't it? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So the very creative act of God was the revelation of His glory. And later in Genesis chapter 1, He created Adam and Eve. And in creating Adam and Eve, he showed us that he wanted a people for himself. He wanted to extend his grace to a race of people who would love him and serve him and follow him and worship him and be part of his family. That began in Genesis 1, and it extends all the way to the book of Revelation where we find the, the, uh, the, 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 the vision given to John in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9 where there are some from every kindred, tribe, and tongue gathered at the throne worshiping Him. So from the beginning of time until the end of time, God's mission has been the revelation of Himself to everybody on this earth, and the extension of His grace, inviting everyone on this earth to His family. And I believe with all my heart, ladies and gentlemen, that when we stand at that throne someday with all of these people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, we're going to realize with full impact, more than we've ever understood it before, we're going to realize with full impact that this is what God has been doing in the world. And what God is doing in this world is the most important thing happening in this world. Amen right there? So God is on a mission. And I want you to note that word is in the singular. Now go to the next slide, if you would, please. And you can see that God has given this mission to the church. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning from Acts chapter 2. We use the word missions. This is Missions Emphasis Month. And we talk about the missions outreach of our church. And the word mission in the singular describes what God is all about. The word missions in the plural describes us and our church's participation and involvement and obedience to the mission of God. So God has saved you and ordained you and called you that you would be part of what He is doing in this world, part of His mission. So if this is true, if this is what God is doing, and He has called us to be part of it, then once in a while we need to be willing to evaluate where we stand and what, what our obedience level is, and how we're doing in reaching every kindred, tribe, and tongue. There are 17,000 people groups in the world today. 
Matthew 28, 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word nations doesn't mean uh, political countries like the U.S. and Mexico and Brazil and Australia. The word nations means people groups. It means ethnicities. And so when God sees this world, that's how he looks at it. And he's trying to reach every one of these ethnicities. And according to mission studies today, there are 17,012 ethnic groups in the world. Over 7,000 of those are still considered unreached. Now, when I use the term unreached, I want to define that because the word unreached doesn't mean unsaved. There are a lot of people in this, in this county that are unsaved, aren't there? But everyone in this county is within reach of the gospel. They have access to the truth. This church is here. Other churches like this that are gospel preaching churches are, are in this county, in this, uh, this Toledo area. And so these people in, in, in is this Maumee County? Lucas County. And people in Lucas County are all reached. That doesn't mean they're all saved, but they're all within access of the gospel. Does that make sense to everyone? When I say unreached, I mean they have no access. There are 7,085 people groups today that are still out of, out of reach of the gospel. There's no preacher where they live that's preaching the gospel. There's no Bible to read in their language. There's no church for them to attend where they could hear the truth. And one step further than that, out of these 7,000 plus that are unreached, over 3,000 of them are unengaged. The word unengaged takes it a step further and means that no one is coming. Not only do they have no access to the gospel, no Bible to read, no way to find information about who the true God is, there's no one coming to bring it to them. Many of these unengaged people groups live in places where the, the climate is very harsh and rugged. It's a hard place to live. Maybe that's one reason we haven't gone there. Many of them live in restricted nations where it's illegal to share the gospel. It's illegal to preach and pass out gospel literature as your pastor encouraged you to do a few moments ago. And so there are a lot of reasons why we haven't gotten to these people yet, but it's a sad statement and a sad indictment on the church today that we have been given the responsibility of full participation in the mission of God to reach every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And today there's still 7,085 of them that are unreached and over 3,000 of those, no one's trying to get there. No one's on the way. It's a sad indictment, isn't it? Now, I don't want you to think that when I say unreached people group, I'm talking about 50 people sitting around a fire somewhere in a jungle. I'm talking about millions and millions and millions of people. It's estimated that over three and a half billion people have still, still never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The largest unreached people group in the world are the Sheikh of Bangladesh and North India. And there are 240 million of them. And they're still classified as an unreached people group because of the, the technical definition is less than 2% of the population even claims to be evangelical Christian. And many of the groups that claim to be Christian are not necessarily born again believers. You understand what I mean by that? So three and a half billion people waiting to hear the name of Jesus Christ. I asked you a few moments ago to find Acts chapter 2. And you may have found it on your phone. You may have found it on your iPad or, or you, maybe you brought your Bible with you today. I hope you did. But you know that over, there are over 7,100 languages in the world today and only 698 of them have a Bible they can open, a, a whole Bible. 
About 1,500 have a New Testament. About, about the same number have a portion of Scripture. And if you subtract that out, here's what you find. 3,733 languages cannot open the Word of God. They don't have a single verse. Now, if this is the mission God is on, and He's given this mission to us, would you agree with me that's a sad indictment on our obedience? I was listening to a podcast the other day of an Iranian pastor who's been in prison and persecuted for his faith and preaching the gospel. And his, the, the, the interviewer asked him this question, what is, the, what is the number one problem in missions today? And he said, without a doubt, the disobedience of God's people. I'm not here to indict you today. I'm just here to challenge you. I'm here to encourage and exhort you to let this church become as much as God wants it to be a full participant in his mission to reach every kindred, tribe, and tongue. I know you have a heart for missions, and that's why you're having Missions Emphasis Month. But may God do a work in our hearts today and throughout this month that takes us personally to a new level. Let's talk about that for just a few minutes. I believe the Great Commission, with, with all of that, those numbers I just gave you that, that makes it look like an overwhelming thing and, and, and we still have a lot of work to do, I want to encourage you by saying I believe the Great Commission can be accomplished in this generation. Uh, every generation of Christians is responsible for reaching that generation of lost people and God never gives us commands that can't be obeyed. We find a lot of ways to exempt ourselves, like we, we can't do what we, reasons that we can't clearly do what God is calling us to do. I can never go to the mission field, someone would say. I can never be a Bible translator, someone might say. I can never give that much to missions. And, and my college president used to say, if you continue to say I can't, you're right, because I can't never could. God didn't give the Great Commission to the church so we could play our part and make our contribution and hope the next generation will come along and finish it. Here's what I believe. Are you ready for this one? We must take on the task as if it has to be completed before we die. Monclova Road Baptist Church ought to look at the Great Commission as a, an order from God for us, right here, us, to reach the world with the gospel. If no other church does it, we're going, to we're, going to, we're going to take on the task. If other churches fail in their efforts and fail in their obedience, we're going to work as if it all depends on us to finish this task. And, and may I assure you, it doesn't all depend on us. It is the work of God. And He will get it done whether we participate or not. Can I get an amen right there? But I don't want to stand at that throne someday with those people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue and realize that I gave my life to something that wasn't important. We have the people and resources to finish the Great Commission. So now let's look at the scripture. Would you look at with me, please? Uh, Acts chapter 1, and, and I think you know the context of this chapter, but Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven. And I'd like to, to read just some, some specific verses from chapter 1 and then the first eight verses of chapter 2. So look at chapter 1, verse 4. <clears throat> And being assembled together with them, this is Jesus assembled together with the apostles just before he ascends back to heaven. Being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Notice that, wait for the promise of the Father. Verse 8, 
but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Verse 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. I won't read the rest of that chapter, so now let's drop down to, to chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying, unto, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? There are four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all culminate in a great commission. Acts begins with the great commission. We read that in verse 8 a moment ago. And then chapter 2 tells us the story of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell upon the church. The empowering of the Spirit of God upon the church resulted in the people giving the gospel to the nations of the earth. Peter is going to stand, at the, as this story continues, Peter is going to stand and preach and 3,000 people are going to get saved and, and be, be added to the church. Later he will preach again and 5,000 will be added. And the church grew, some say, to more than 100,000 members. They scattered upon the persecution that arose about Stephen in Acts chapter 8. And they covered the known world with the gospel at that time. But what I want us to see very clearly, and I believe so beautifully and perfectly illustrated from Acts chapter 2, is that Pentecost was the catalyst of a worldwide missions movement. And so if this is the propulsion of the gospel out of Jerusalem, then I think there are some lessons here that we need to observe. I believe what we see here is an example of what the, the Lord wants to do with this church today. I believe it's an example of what how God wants to use His people today. It's an example of what God can do with men and women who are wholly possessed by Him and surrendered to Him, who are filled with His Spirit, and who will wait on Him in prayer as they did in the upper room. We saw that. This is what God wants to do. I want to clarify that I do not expect to see cloven tongues of fire descending here today. I don't believe this is descriptive uh, I'm sorry, I don't believe it's prescriptive of what needs to take place in, in this auditorium, but it is descriptive of what happens when the Spirit of God comes and fills the people of God. The result is the nations get the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at four what I call root principles or lessons from Pentecost. Are you ready for them this morning? I'll go through them quickly and we'll get out on time. Lesson number one, the church exists for the mission of God. The church exists 
for the mission of God. The mission of God, remember, is to declare His glory, reveal His glory, and, and, and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Do you know if you continue to read in this chapter, verses 9 through 11, you would see 17 or 18 different people groups represented here. If you'll look again with me at verse 5, you'll see that there were, uh, were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven gathered in this place. And so right here in the first story of the coming of the Spirit upon the church, we see the purpose of that Spirit. The coming of that Spirit, Holy Spirit, was to touch all the nations with the gospel. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The mission of God started in Genesis 1-1. We talked about that. But let's just hit a couple of highlights. How about this? The mission continued with Abraham, and we could stop at 159 different places in the Word of God and show so clearly and, and beautifully how the mission of God is carried out. But if God started the mission at the beginning of time and He's going to finish it at the end of time, then everything He's doing in between is missional related. So Abraham, Genesis chapter 12 I'll bless them that curse you. Remember when he called out Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation. He said, I'll bless them that bless you and I'll curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God didn't call out Abraham because he wanted to make him rich and wealthy. He called out Abraham because he wanted to use Abraham to reach all the nations. We could hit, a, as I said, 150 different highlights. But how about the prophets that God kept sending to Israel to call them back to God? And how many times did the prophets say, you're to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, a light to the, to the peoples of the earth? You read through the Psalms, and I use a purple highlighter uh, to mark these particular passages where the Bible says so many times, all the way from beginning to end, of all nations, uh, every people under heaven, uh, of all the peoples of the earth, and, and let all the nations uh, pray, praise the Lord. I mark those things because that's the, that's the heartbeat of God. The prophets kept calling them back. I've been, uh, probably as many of you have, I've been reading through my Bible this year, and I've uh, I don't do this every year, start at Genesis and go to Revelation, but I'm doing it this year. And, and I'm in the early books of the Bible. Right now I'm in the book of Deuteronomy. And as I went through Exodus and Leviticus, and I saw all the laws that were given to God's people and the, the, the regulations and the sacrificial guidelines uh, or guidelines for the sacrificial offerings and so forth, I noticed several times as I read through this time how often God said, and this is also for the stranger that is among you. When they left Egypt after their bondage of 400 plus years and some of the Egyptians went with them because they wanted to be now part of the people of God, God made provision for those who were not Jews to become part of his family. The mission continued, let's just jump all the way to the New Testament and this mission of God, you know this is true, continued with Jesus Christ. If you ask the average Christian, why did Jesus come to this earth? The answer would probably be something like, he came to save me. And we turn that to us. Automatically, we turn that to us. But Jesus came first to reveal the Father. Can I get an amen right there? He came to reveal the Father and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then secondarily, Jesus came to offer His life on the cross and shed His blood for our sins so that we could be saved. So Jesus is the most beautiful and most perfect picture of the revealing of God's glory and the extending of God's grace. And the mission is to continue with us. 
Some people believe that God gave the Great Commission, Jesus gave the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels just kind of as an addendum. Well, you know, I'm going back to heaven, so here, let me give you something to work on while I'm gone. I want you to hear this statement. Write it down in your heart, please. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. That will change our perspective on what, why we are here. There, it's popular today and has been for many years to establish a mission statement. Corporations have a mission statement. The churches got on board with that a few years ago. We're here to do this, this, and this, and I'm not against any of those things. But we don't really have a mission that would supersede the mission of God and His enlistment of us to participate in revealing His glory and extending His grace to the ends of the earth. Are you with me this morning? I don't see how it could be more clear here in Acts chapter 2. I don't see how the purpose of God could be better illustrated. You, you ask a, a believer today, why is the church here? And somebody's going to say, it's here for fellowship. I love going to church and being with God's people. And that's a wonderful benefit, isn't it? You can come to this room here today and sit next to people who believe like you and love the same Lord you do and have the same goals in life that you do and want to please the same God you love. And that's wonderful. It's a wonderful benefit. Somebody else might say the purpose of the church is teaching and preaching. And that's what I'm doing this morning is preaching. And your pastor is a wonderful preacher and teacher of God's word. And that's a great benefit. And that is a vital part of what takes place here. Some would say that the purpose of the church is praise and worship. And I thoroughly enjoyed our worship time a few moments ago, didn't you? But the mission that began a creation and continued with Abraham and the prophets and Jesus Christ, and now the coming of the Spirit of God has empowered this church to be fully involved, fully participating in the mission of God. Lesson number two. Number one, this church exists for the mission of God. Number two, every member is part of the mission every member. Now, please stay with me on this point. I don't know how many people were here. We read in verse 15 that says about 120. So these are the ones who are gathered in the upper room, the 11 apostles, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Matthias was chosen uh, to replace Judas at the end of cha chapter one. And, and so there's several people here, but look at chapter two again with me, please. And you might want to mark these in your Bible or just note them as I go through. I want you to note the pronouns that I emphasize. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was come, they were all with one accord in one place. Look at the end of verse 2. It filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and there appeared unto them, plural, cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them, every one of them. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and just began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, verse 6, at the end of the verse says, every man heard them speak in his own language. The end of verse 7, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans. Now, I don't know about you, but in my, in my mind, through the years, I always defaulted to Pentecost being a church service with Peter standing up and powerfully preaching in the Spirit of God and five, I'm sorry, 3,000 people getting saved. But what we just noted is that prior to Peter's sermon, every believer was filled with the Holy Ghost for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel so the nations will hear. Did you see that? They all were a cloven tongue of fire descended upon all of them. 
And they all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the people who heard them said, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how are we hearing them in our own language? So this is not a preacher behind a pulpit and people in the pews. It's not a church service. It's a prayer meeting. It's the people of God gathered in unison and in one accord saying, God, we're waiting for you to empower us to do the work that you've called us to do. We're here. We're willing. We are yielded. We are surrendered to you and we want to be used by you. And Jesus had told them, tarry here until the spirit comes. And that's what they were waiting for. It was the empowerment of the people of God for the gospel's sake. Notice, please, in verse 6, the Bible says, Now when this was noised abroad. So the cloven tongues of fire and the proclaiming of the gospel has already happened. In verse 6, that news begins to be spread all throughout the city. It says the multitude came together. So the, the, the huge crowd Trusting and responding to Christ, coming to Christ didn't happen until the Spirit had come and the gospel had been proclaimed already. What do we see here? We see everybody participating. Now, you've probably heard these terms before, but we, we use the term goer, G-O-E-R, to describe missionaries. Missionaries go to a foreign field. And these missionaries are uniquely qualified and gifted and, and they have special talents and abilities and they know how to learn languages. They know how to eat bugs and worms and it doesn't gross them out. So they can go to all these, these places that I, I, I just couldn't handle that. I got a weak stomach. But, uh, but, but these people are, besides being gifted for it, they have a special calling from God. So they are the goers. And over here, we have the senders. And God hasn't gifted me for that, and He hasn't called me to that. He didn't send me to a nation on the other side of the world, and, and He doesn't, is not leading me to proclaim the gospel in Australia or Afghanistan or Tajikistan. And so I'm going to help send the goer. I believe an unintended consequence of dividing these two groups has led many of the senders to say, since God didn't call me or send me, I get to choose what I do with my life. Please know that is so far from the truth. We must not divide ourselves into goers and senders. We are all one group. We are all goers and we are all senders. The responsibility of every person in this room this morning who knows the Lord Jesus Christ is to be a witness for Christ right where you are. To go to the people in your neighborhood, your family, your workplace, the sphere of your influence. You, as you go, Matthew 28, 19, that says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. You study the meaning of those words. It actually means as you are going about life, you make disciples. Every believer in this room this morning is a missionary. It's not a special group that's set apart from the rest of us. And every believer in the room this morning is a sender. I go where I am and I help you if God's leading you to a different location. I will help send you to reach them with the gospel and get to another kindred and another tribe in time. The church exists for the mission of God. And every member is to participate. Lesson number three, quickly. The Spirit of God is the power behind the work. This was not the apostles doing. It was not the work of a well thought out plan or a finely developed strategy. 
The apostles didn't get together and strategize about who's going to go to this province and that province and who's going to go to Asia Minor and who's going to go out to Rome later on and, and, and to Spain, as Paul talked about. This was not a strategy. This was not a, an organizational structure. This was the Spirit of God falling on the church to empower them to go. The Spirit of God did this. Jesus, when he, before he left this earth, he said to the apostles, verily verily I, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. When the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will empower you for this. And so the question for us today, is this what we want for our church? Do we long for this today? How long has it been since we sense the power of God uh, 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 compelling us to give the gospel to someone? Why do we think we can just come together and have church and enjoy the worship and learn a truth from God's word and go home and live our own lives this week as if there's nothing more to do and there's nothing more to participate in? Could I suggest we need a revival in the church? And it's not a revival that will make us better husbands or wives or better young people and, and better employees. All that, all that would be helpful. It's not just a revival that would store harmony to the body of Christ, because I think there's a lot of schism in the body of Christ today. But I'm talking about a revival that will break our attachment to the world and to temporal things. A revival that would shake us out of our complacency and, and, and propel us into full surrender to God and His will for our lives. A revival that would result in a people sold out and wholly given to the mission of God, completely abandoned to Him. That would result in the Spirit of God empowering this people of God here for the mission of God. I get the privilege to be in churches all across the country and I meet some really great people who I believe with all my heart love the Lord. But our churches are full of armies. They, our churches are armies of unenlisted soldiers with one foot in the world and focused on a career and money and conveniences of our lives. And, and we need to yield to the Spirit of God and say, I'm here, Lord, waiting on you and your direction. I will yield myself to that every day. Who do I need to talk to today? Many of you probably have read or seen the little book, booklet about, I don't know, 60 pages by Kerry Schmidt called Done. And it talks about how, how we trust in what Jesus has done to get to heaven instead of doing in our own effort. I was at a gas station the other day and I walked in and there was no one else in the store and the young man behind the counter was very chatty. So we stood there for two or three minutes just talking about different things and I walked out and as I'm walking back to my car, the Spirit of God said, you need to say something to him about me. And I went to my car and grabbed one of those books and I kind of give them out like gospel tracts sometimes. And I walk back inside and I laid it on the counter and I said to the young man, this book talks about how people try to go to heaven. Some people try to go to heaven by doing everything they possibly can to earn their way there. I said the right way to get to heaven is to trust in what Jesus has done. You see the title of this book? It's already been done. You just need to put your faith in Jesus. And you know what he said to me? He looked at that book and he looked at me and he said, are you kidding me? I said, what do you mean? He said, my girlfriend is a Christian and she's been talking to me about this for months. And now you come in here and hand me this book. He said, I guess I better read it. I said, I guess you better read it too. But you know what that is? That, that's, I, I'm no great saint, but that's just one example of what I'm trying to illustrate this morning. Somebody who heard the Spirit of God say, there's one. And I, in this case, I obeyed. And I, ha I would have to 
tell you, and I'm embarrassed to admit, there's times I haven't. Have you ever, have you ever done that? But Pentecost was the coming of the Spirit, so you would go right where you are and send others where you are not. The church exists for the mission of God. Every member is to be a part. The Spirit of God is the power behind the work. And I love point number four. God had a plan from the beginning. And I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But Peter's going to stand up in a few minutes, and he's going to show these people. And begin the, at the beginning of his sermon, he quotes from the book of Joel, chapter 2. And he is showing the people here that this is not some new, spooky, sensational event where miracles are happening just for the sake of miracles. But this is the unfolding of the plan of God. This is the Spirit of God empowering this church right here to help you understand that you need Jesus. And may God do that here at Monclover Road Baptist Church today. May God help us see that He's here to help us reach the nations. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Lord Jesus, I pray that you will 